Good morning. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That was weak. Maybe, let me turn up my hearing aids. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Did you not get rain at your house last night? Was that not just awesome? It is. It really is. This is an exciting time for the Oak Crest family. If you're visiting with us, I appreciate Dwight giving you a warm welcome. You really are our honored guest. Next month is our annual missions month. I think 31 years and counting. A November 20th missions contribution. And I would be remiss on behalf of the shepherds to not truly commend you and thank you for the very warm reception that you have given to our new preaching minister, Brian Simmons and his wife, Sharon. Uh, they are doing a great job for us, and I appreciate the way that you have warmly welcomed them. I do think that we need to have a talk. Yeah, for sure. I do think we need to have a talk with Brian because this is fall break for him and Sharon. And, you know, you normally think about doing something that's kind of relaxing and enjoyable. And they're in Kansas on a 52-mile bike ride. I mean, really? Kansas, 52-mile bike ride? Can you imagine seeing the same scenery for 52 miles in a row but um we are so glad that brian and sharon are here and i appreciate again the warm welcome that you're giving to them so i was um, 16 years old when i became a christian and i had what was called the revised standard version bible that maybe some of you have never heard of the revised standard version and I was reading this little book called Philippians that had been recommended to me, and I'm sure it's one of your favorite books in the New Testament as well. And as I was reading through it, I came to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. And this is what it read. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And my immediate thought was, even the state of Texas? Now, if you're from Texas, I forgive you for not laughing at that. And it wasn't the holiest thought I've ever had after reading a verse in the Bible. But clearly, as Paul talks about being content in whatever state I am, clearly Paul's challenge has nothing to do with where we live. Has nothing to do with geography. What I am glad about, though, is that, that God, when he encourages us through Paul to live lives of contentment, to be content. I'm glad that he didn't just say, you know, you figure it out. I want you to be content and you figure out on your own devices what that looks like to make sure you're living that kind of life. It was my ninth grade year at Edmond Junior High and I had a woodworking class, a shop class, and my teacher was Mr. Tabor. Mr. Tabor was an ex-Marine drill sergeant. And I mean, he just fit that perfect mode of the drill sergeant. Several weeks into class, he approached me one day and he had a handheld drill. And you could kind of even see that there were going to be some issues with the cord. And he just walked up to me and he said, Bulmer, fix it. And he turned around to walk off. Now, a lot of you know me well enough to know that mechanical endeavors are not really my strength. And as he walked away, I, I said, Mr. Tabor, because I was going to tell him, I have no clue what to do to fix this drill. And he, he turns around and he looks at me and says, fix it, and just walks off. I said, okay, okay, you're not going to give me any instruction? You're not going to tell me how to do this? I'll do this. 
So I wired all this stuff up. I mean, it was really, really odd. And I remember him coming back over about 10 minutes later. And believe me, my reaction I'm about to have is not what I had at that moment. But he came over, he plugged it in, hit that control button, and boy, did he have a shock. His whole system just went like this, just tremored. I'll never forget, he just kind of cut his eyes, looked over at me, and he said, idiot. <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, that's what you get for telling me to do something and not giving me any instruction, any kind of assistance. God does not just say, be content and figure it out. So I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. I want us to read this passage in its entirety. I know that you know that Philippians is about joy. But I would suggest to you that another underlying topic or theme in this book is contentment. And we're going to see in our thoughts this morning from God's word that contentment isn't just some kind of feel-good emotion it depends on whether things are going right or wrong in our lives. But beginning in Philippians chapter 4, read with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And really focus on these thoughts now. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This passage is an absolute masterpiece. And you know as well as I do, because if you've ever been in a Bible class on Philippians, or if you had a preacher sharing a lesson or a series from Philippians, you know that Paul was in prison when he wrote these words. And I would suggest to you that if we were going to be making a list of circumstances that would always produce joy in our life, that always would produce contentment, none of us would say, be in prison. That's the key to joy and contentment is find yourself in prison. None of us would even add that to the list. But what gives this passage, this masterpiece of literature for us such power is that Paul was not in a villa on the Mediterranean Sea when he wrote these words, because then we could dismiss it and say, well, yeah, sure. Look where you are and look at all, everything's so good in your life. It's all turning out so well. He was in prison. These are not circumstances that you would automatically point towards someone living a life of contentment, much less preaching about the value 
of contentment. There are a lot of definitions for contentment. Contentment, I think it's back on the previous slide. Contentment is an inward attitude of the heart that submits to and delights in God's care in every situation. To be content doesn't mean you don't desire more. It means you're thankful for what you have and patient for what is to come. Now, like you, I don't know that I can say that there's one particular definition of contentment that just explains it perfectly. But I do know this, like you, I know it when I see it. I know a contented person when I see him or when I see her. It is certainly a desirable state of being. There's not a one of us that would kind of say, oh, contentment, that's uh, just, you know, more gets more focus and emphasis than it really deserves. And that's not true. We all have those times of just perfect contentment. Everything is good with the world. Life is good. And yet it seems to be so elusive. It's so hard to be able to attain it and to maintain it. Part of it is because of the world that we live in. We are inundated every day, whether it be billboards, mass media, something on television, but we're inundated with thoughts every day that says that what we have is not new enough, it's not fast enough, it's not shiny enough, it's not effective enough, it's just not good enough for what we need. And so we're constantly being inundated with these thoughts that there's got to be something better out there and you need to just devote your life to pursuing it. But what happens as we are subjected to those ongoing thoughts from the world in which we live that we should not be content with what we have, who we are, where we live, who we know, what we do, that we now buy into it. And we succumb to a life of discontent which is characterized by ingratitude, by worry, by complaining. You know, Job said it this way in chapter 3, and if anybody had a right to be upset about circumstances in life, it would be Job. But I want you to listen to what he said. For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. That really describes the world that we live in right now. There's a lot of discontent in our world. There's a lot of agitation. There's just a lot of anxiety for a lot of different reasons. And I say that to suggest to you that if we're able to pursue more of a life of contentment, that is a life that will stand out. That is a life that will shine brightly. That is a life that speaks more powerfully than any sermon you could ever hear or any song that we could ever sing. At the root of discontent, of a discontent life, actually is just a life that isn't completely trusting in God and his promises. So I want you to think about three things that scripture clearly teaches about contentment. Three things that Scripture teaches, and if you're still in Philippians, we're going to be looking at this often this morning. 
The first thing from Philippians chapter 4, listen to this word. You can hear this word three times in these three verses, beginning in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen of me put into practice, down to verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content. Scripture teaches very clearly that contentment is learned behavior. It does not come naturally to us. It does not. But because it's learned behavior, it's important for us to acknowledge, well, then who are we learning from? What are we learning about contentment? And who is that teacher? I know that when Gwen and I got ready to go to Portugal, this probably will surprise you. They speak Portuguese in Portugal. It probably will not surprise you that we did not get someone who is fluent in German to teach us about Portuguese. We didn't get someone who's fluent in French to teach us to learn Portuguese. We got someone who is fluent in Portuguese to teach us. So I would suggest to you that as we think about contentment and where we're learning contentment from, that we need to think seriously. Does it need to be marketing executives? Does it need to be a world that is never happy with the state in which we are? Or could it be that maybe God has some things to share with us that would allow us and encourage us to learn to be contented lives. The second thing that scripture clearly teaches, contentment does not depend on having the right circumstances. I'm sure there are some times we think that, you know, if everything was just right, if, if, if I could pick everything to go just like I want, then I know that I would always be content, and I doubt that would actually be true. But what Paul is pointing out here is it doesn't depend on circumstances. Spiritual contentment is so much more than just saying, well, everything went well yesterday, so I'm content. Today, not so much, so I'm not content. Look at again at chapter 4, verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So Paul is saying here, contentment doesn't depend on circumstances. You can be hungry or you can be well-fed and you can find contentment both places. When I think about us as a church family, and this is probably where the rubber meets the road is us as a church family. I know that as we look around, there's not a one of us that doesn't think about days gone by when we had more people here. And we yearn for those days for more people to be back with us. But here's what I would say. Even though we need to pursue that and desire that and pray for that and hope for that, we still need to be content with where we are right now. And I'm content to see you here today. I hope that you're content to see the person who's sitting next to you. We need to find that contentment so we're not just agitated, so we're not just feeling anxious, so we're not feeling self-pity. But we need to find that contentment. Doesn't mean that we're not hoping for better things, but certainly means that we have found that even though the circumstances may not be what we want right now, we can still find that contentment here. The third thing that Scripture clearly teaches about contentment is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. If you think for a moment that preaching or teaching or talking or reflecting on the idea of contentment it's just watering down the power of God's word. 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. So I submit to you that one of the primary building blocks for becoming more godly, more like God, is having a life of contentment. Is being content because it reflects our trust in God. It reflects our belief in his promises. And it leads to godliness. I don't think there's any shortcut to godliness that doesn't go through a contented life. That's what Paul would tell Timothy. So contentment, Scripture clearly teaches, it's learned behavior. It doesn't depend on what the circumstances are. And that godliness comes with contentment. All sounds good. Makes perfect sense. But there's still something missing here. How do we claim it? How do we get it? How do we grasp it? How can it be more than just temporary feelings now and then after something has gone just right for us? How do we claim contentment? So I'll close with these three thoughts for you to ponder. And believe me, this lesson is much or more for me as anyone who's sitting here today. How do we cultivate contentment? How do we cultivate contentment? Thought number one. We learn to give thanks for what we have instead of dwelling on what we don't have. Spending more time giving thanks for what we have instead of dwelling on what we don't have. Again, back to Philippians chapter 4. Listen to verse 12 again. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Now, notice this. Paul says, I know this. This isn't just an intellectual pursuit. I live this. I'm experiencing this. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. And then notice this. This is one of our favorite verses in the entire Bible. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. But I would suggest to you that in the context of Philippians chapter 4, 13, he's really talking about the reason, Paul is saying, that I can find contentment is because I get this strength from Jesus. I get this strength from God. Now, it's true that God gives us the ability to do a lot of things and gives us strength to do a lot of things. But specifically in this letter, Paul is saying the reason why I can have this attitude about contentment, no matter what my circumstances, is because I get this strength from Jesus. Because that's how he lived his life. That's how he interacted with people. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul would tell the church at Thessalonica, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. Think about that. God's collective will for each one of us, individually, has nothing to do with our career, with where we live, with who our friends are, with other things that are about life. But he says, collectively, I can tell you my will for all of you, without exception, is to give thanks in all circumstances. Someone has said that the gift of giving thanks is that it magnifies our blessings and enhances our ability to be a blessing to others. And believe it or not, this is what a Harvard professor actually said. It might surprise you coming from a Harvard professor. When you appreciate all that you have, what you have appreciates. Pretty simple. So giving thanks for what we have and not dwelling on what we don't have. Number two, 
realizing that God withholds no good thing from us. God does not withhold any good thing from us. Again, to this passage that Diamond read a little bit earlier. Fear the Lord, you holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And then in Philippians 4.19, Paul would kind of conclude his thoughts with this. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And then Romans 8.32, Paul would also write, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Realizing that God withholds no good thing from us. When we were in Portugal, we met a man who, uh, his name was Robert Reed, and he was a missionary in Portugal in the 70s, 80s, maybe even into the 90s. He was an extraordinary individual. He went out to the parks every day and visited with people. I mean, he was always sharing his faith. Uh, I, I don't know if I've ever met anybody that was more open and forthright and genuine in sharing their faith than Robert Reed. Robert had cerebral palsy, confined to a wheelchair, had the spasms. It was really hard to understand him in English, much less in Portuguese. But Robert had this attitude that God withheld no good thing from him. And he couldn't help but share it with others. He did finally share it, get one woman that he was able to really teach and lead to the Lord. And they're married now. Have a lovely daughter. And every time I think about are the circumstances right or has God shared all good things, I think about Robert and that story. What amazing faith. And he had a contented life, a self-deprecating humor. He was really hilarious. And yet... Because of this awareness that God withholds no good thing from us, from him, especially the gift of his son, Robert was as bold as he was with his faith. He lived that kind of contented life, not one that you and I would have said would be on the list of things that we would want for contentment. But he realized that God withheld no good things from him. So giving thanks for what we have and not dwelling on what we don't have, Realizing that God withholds no good thing from us. And then finally, to be able to cultivate contentment, we need to seek after things that are eternal. We need to focus, spend time thinking about things that are eternal. It's really about priorities. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul would say it this way. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ to God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Spending more time dwelling on things that are eternal. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, For we live by faith, not by sight. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. And we go on to tell Timothy, But you, man of God... 
flee from all this. And he's talking about things in the world that kind of consume us, that take away so much of our attention and demand so much of our time. And just those things in the world that surround us. He says, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Focusing on things that are eternal, help us to cultivate contentment because now those things that we are learning have eternal consequences. They have so much more to offer us than just the day-to-day situations that arise in life. A harvest of peace is produced from a seed of contentment. It seems though that with every passing day, as I mentioned earlier, it seems with every passing day we live in an agitated, ungrateful, discontented world the world needs to see contented people the world needs to see people who no matter what their circumstances have learned the joy of contentment contentment will speak volumes to people of our trust in god and certainly True contentment is found when we do place our confidence in God, when we're willing to bow to his will and his desire for our lives. So that contentment, hopefully, is something that we can embrace throughout each day. It's not going to happen overnight, and it's not going to just be all the time easy. It isn't. But it is a lifestyle. It is a way of living that will shine brightly in the world in which we live. So as we bring the lesson to a close, there's no question that the key to contentment is finding that in God and his promises. Realizing that as God has shared his word with us, that he wants us to have these contented kind of lives, knowing that even through difficulties and challenges and things that assault us every day, that he is still with us, He does not withhold any good thing from us. He still provides for us, and his promises can be counted on. So it's our custom at this time to sing a song together. If it's an appropriate occasion for you to seek prayers of this church family, maybe it's issues and situations in your life that have risen for which we can pray. If it's a time that you've come to in your life where you want to surrender your life to God, you want to really know that God is first in your life, Even today, if you confess that Jesus, Son of God, and be baptized, that will be the beginning of a contented life for you. So if you're subject to this invitation, to God's invitation anyway, let's stand and sing if you come forward at this time.